What's up, everybody? I think it's time to get started. So we should probably do that thing. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Miles, and I am the director of Friends of Internationals here. And it's kind of a, a new role for me. So you guys know, yeah, you guys know Pastor Andrew Long, right? He is the man. Uh, and him and a team, some of which are, are here, are in the process of transitioning from uh, Kansas City Midtown to uh, Saigon to Vietnam, right? And so part of that transition is just a transition in, in leadership. And so this is kind of a new role that I'm stepping into. Uh, the past few mornings have been awesome, haven't they? So Andrew's laid out the, the need, right? He, he's clearly laid out through statistics and charts and graphs, uh, the, the need for, for reaching internationals and that people are coming from all over the world to come study in the United States. And so they are landing on major college campuses in places like Manhattan, Kansas, and in places like Iola, Kansas, and places like uh, Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, places like Boston, and, and places like uh, Denver, Colorado, and the School of Mines, right? And so people are coming, and, and there's a, a huge opportunity for us to reach them. And so Andrew also laid out what it looks like to, to begin a Friends of International ministry, right? Uh, what are the, the practical, tactical logistics to starting a ministry like that? And maybe the, the you know, the, the sweetest thing that we got to hear is personal testimonies from people whose lives are completely transformed forever because they heard and received the gospel, right? And so today we're going to continue on that. Uh, Andrew, he really started macro, right? He, he showed the need, he showed what starting a ministry looks like, uh, but if it never gets personal, then it doesn't matter, right? And so today we're going to talk about personal evangelism and what it looks like to, to personally engage and, and interact with uh, individuals for, for, for gospel conversations and opportunities. Uh, but before we get there, uh, I think it's needful to pray, Amen. Uh, and I think it's also uh, just really, really sweet to continue to hear testimony um, from people that, that are involved in the Friends of International Ministry, you know. And so today we're going to have uh, three testimonies. Uh, again, uh, you know, God is at work here. And what I want you all to see is that, you know, it's not just internationals that are coming, getting plugged in, uh, but God is using people that grew up in, you know, and the blandest parts of America <laughs> to, to, to reach people from all over the world, right? Taylor, you're from Chillicothe, right? Yeah, the only reason I know Chillicothe is because of like the weather station. That's it, you know. But how far away is that, you think? <clears throat> Two hours, yeah. So it's in the middle of nowhere in Missouri, basically, right? Yeah. Um, and so we're going to hear from, from people uh, like Taylor, like Brianna, uh, that are experienced at, at ministering to internationals. Uh, so that you guys don't just hear from the, the mouths of internationals what God's doing in their lives, uh, but you can hear from people that maybe are a little bit more like you and how God is using them and growing them to minister to people that are different from them. And so I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to have Brianna come up first, uh, and we're going to hear some testimonies before we dive into the Word, okay? So Lord, we are so thankful uh, that you can use just the, the, the weak and the foolish things of this world uh, just to confound the wise. Lord, we have but little strength, and yet we, we serve a big God, and we serve a God that transforms lives, and to be able to be a part of that, it's a privilege, and it's an honor, and Lord, we don't know what we're doing, uh, but we desire for you to be glorified in the nations, 
And so, Lord, we would just pray that, that you would teach us, Lord, that you would use us, that we would be willing and that we'd put ourselves out there uh, because it's worth it, uh, because there's a mission that, that you've called us to that, that, that's greater than ourselves and it's something worth laying down our lives for. Uh, it's something worth looking foolish for. Uh, and so, Lord, uh, we just pray that you would teach us today uh, what our role in that is and how we can personally engage in the work of evangelism. And so we pray for this in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. All right, so let's clap as Brianna comes up. Yeah. I'll have you use this mic, Brianna. Down here. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, yeah, my name's Brianna Fitzpatrick, and my husband and I live two blocks from UMKC. So for us, I'll just give you a really quick um, information. And then if you have any questions, you can let me know. <laughs> um, my husband and I met at KCBT Graceway and we we're both in international student ministry. And so that's how we met <laughs> and we ended up getting married. <laughs> um, and we, uh, we weren't married actually when Sam came here. Um, we were both still involved in international student ministry. And when Sam came down here, we just immediately came with him. As far as I know, we're the only two Midtowners because <laughs> um, we live, my husband actually lives um, not too far from here. And I lived very close to here also when I was um, attending here. We, we were both living in Midtown. Obviously we weren't together at that time, but Anyway, um, so Sam started here and there weren't very many people. There wasn't really a ministry, but um, we still had the same vision that we had started from KCBT. So our desire, our interest is in international students. That's where we met in that ministry. And um, when... Uh, when Sam came down, it was just something we wanted to continue. Um, we need, we obviously need people <laughs> to do that ministry. So, um, but my husband and I, we uh, were active with Pam and Roger Lance at their house. We would do conversational English at their house and at my husband's house where I live now. We would do conversational English and we would just, um, we would do airport pickups with the students, um, Roger and Brent both had a really good relationship with UMKC. So I would strongly encourage you to have uh, good relations with the international student community at the university. Um, so Roger and Brent had very good relations. It's also really helps when the university doesn't have as much turnover. <laughs> so Roger and Brent had great contacts. We would receive information from the university to go and pick up students from the airport. That was very, very useful. <laughs> um, so pray about your contacts at the university. I would highly encourage that. And pray for um, uh, um, some uh, con continuity within the staff, <laughs> that they would be peaceful persons to work with. 
I would say that was one of the great things that Roger and Brent both had with UMKC. There was one person who they continuously spoke to at the university. And it was for many years, they had a very good relationship with that person. And so that allowed them to have just a lot of activity on campus when there were international student activities going on on campus. So your now this individual, I don't know if he was saved or anything like that, but they had very peaceful working um, uh, uh, communication with one another. We were viewed as a volunteer community group and we housed, my husband housed male students at the time and I lived with female students <laughs> at the time. We actually, I could throw a stone at the old house where I, where I used to live. <laughs> very close. Um, so we live two blocks from UMKC. Uh, you just have to choose your, you have to go where God is directing you. So if God is directing you toward internationals, well, that's why my husband bought the house. That's why I lived where I lived near UMKC. It was, um, it was where God directed us. It was what we had prayed about individually before we were married. Um, that was just what, how God was directing our lives. So I lived two blocks from UMKC. He lived two blocks from UMKC. And we still live two blocks from UMKC. <laughs> um, so, you know, the virtuous woman is the bride, you know, of Christ. And she's buying a field. So you have to be strategic. You need to have good relations with those that are coordinating on campus whether they're lost or saved these individuals um are typically you know you can meet kind and peaceful people that want to help the students that are um on their campuses so it's really key to find those people and to have good working relations with them and to show yourself friendly as the bible says um because that's really what we need to be doing is being friendly to people and trying to genuinely help them. You know, you, you want to find and help the need. Um, uh, a good neighbor is someone who doesn't just say they're going to do something, but a good neighbor in the Bible is someone who actually does care for people by what they do. Um, they give them a coat or they give them bread. They give them food. They show care for the individuals obviously our goal is to see people come to Christ um, but you know you you want to love people you want to care for them so that is fundamentally what we're focusing on doing uh, it's very easy to talk with people when they live with you so they they we have students we've had males and females in different seasons of my life um you know i have children so um there was a time in my life where i just only wanted females living with me <laughs> um when i had the children and they were very small so you know seasons come and go but you know we're at a time now where we could have male or female again um and that's okay within our family so you know you have to work that out what that would look like for you if you're going to house students but um so we've lived with 
students from all over the world, a lot from the Middle East, a lot from Asia. Um, and you would be so, it's always so uh, sweet because college age people have a youth to them and an open-mindedness to them where you'll have someone coming into your house from Saudi Arabia or Iran and they're just great. They're just wonderful people. And, um, you know, you hear so much ill on the news about different locations of people groups and countries. But one of the most interesting things about the Lord Jesus is he created <laughs> all these diverse people groups and countries. And you can see it in the creation that he's made in the nature. So one of the most fascinating things to Brent and I is seeing all these people come into our house and being able to live with them and exposing that to our children. To me, it just makes the richness of the body of Christ more evident in their lives. And so, um, you know, they've heard different languages. They've heard um, what people do in, in, in their country. And I think that has enriched our lives and, and the children's lives. You also uh, are very blessed when you get to, you don't always know it, but sometimes you'll meet someone who is a believer and they're coming to live with you. And that is, um, that's usually very reward, rewarding. I very much enjoy that aspect of it. Um, because we are a ministry, uh, you want to just receive the students uh, as if you're living with them, if they're coming into your house, you just want to show them kindness. They're gonna see really quickly that you're a Christian because you pray for your food, you go to church every Sunday, you go to Bible study, you go to Tuesday night prayer. So they're gonna catch on very quickly that you are a believer and they're going to hear the gospel. They're going to hear the gospel. Um, you need to always be ready, but also just be ready for them to um, engage you because they can get a little bombarded with people trying to um, present this religious information to them that they're trying to process. And so you want people to genuinely know that they're cared for. I would say that's key because then you'll have someone who does have questions, you know, you'll have someone and you want, you don't want this work to be of men, in the spirit of men, it just comes to vanity. So you really want to give individuals time to come into your life and observe you and see, oh, they appear to worship a God <laughs> and they appear to read the Bible. And so, um, you really just want them to uh, develop uh, an interest and through the Holy Spirit, you're praying for them and they, they will have questions. Hopefully they will have questions and you can always engage them. Hey, do you have any questions about um, the God of the Bible? And they may or may not. So, but just be open to, you know, be flexible, be kind. Uh, be quiet. A lot of times students can be overwhelmed with all the information. Everything is new, the religion, the culture, the house, <laughs> the people. 
the clothes, everything is new. So learn to also be quiet and just let people take it all in and go in and out of your house with peace. Um, do you have any questions? So if you do have questions, uh, you want to, to, to grab the Fitzpatrick's uh, because they're a wealth of knowledge and an incredible resource. And so anybody that's involved in the Friends of Internationals ministry here at MBT, uh, we have learned from their experience. Um, again, one thing that's particularly special uh, is them hosting people in their homes. And so I think really, if you have questions about what that could look like using your home as a ministry and inviting people from all over the world to come live with you, it's been fruitful. And I think about the relationships that you guys continue to have and have maintained with people that, that have gone back to their home countries and things like that. And, and man, the Fitzpatrick's have been used by God to minister to so many people. And so you want to pick their brains. Uh, I'm going to have Taylor Lyon come up and share as well uh, about how God's used ministering the internationals here to prepare them to minister in Vietnam, right? <clears throat> okay, so Miles asked me to share just a five-minute blurb of how God has used FOI to prepare us uh, to plant churches and, and minister to the Vietnamese. And it's impossible to summarize six years in five minutes, but some of the biggest takeaways that I've had from FOI that have helped me prepare. Um, the first is how to be a friend. You know, I was actually invited into the international student ministry by an international student when I didn't know anyone. It was right after I got saved. And, and they really taught me what it looks like to be a friend. You know, Proverbs 18 tells us that a friend must show themselves to be friendly, you know. And if you're an introvert like I am, you have to be intentional about it. It's, it's not something you can be passive with. You know, we're called to be fishers of men. That means we go to them. So even if you're hosting an event, you can't just expect when students come for them to suddenly become your best friend, you know, you have to go and reach out, welcome them into games, talk to them, get to know them, spend time with them. Um, it's, a, it's a very intentional work, but man, love translates across nationalities. Um, so that's why we're friends of internationals. And then the second is that cultures are different all around the world. I think that's obvious, but one of the things as Americans is that our culture is not the best. So there are different parts of different cultures that you know, other countries get better than we do and vice versa. But one thing I learned as an example with Indian students. So like with an American, if I wanted to meet with Miles, I would send him a text and say, hey, can we get coffee sometime? You know, oh, sure, let's meet Tuesday at, you know, 8 a.m. or whatever at a coffee shop. Whereas with an Indian student, they would just show up to your house at 1045 and be like, hey, let's have tea and talk totally unannounced, totally uninvited, and vice versa. They expect you to do the same thing because culturally, that's just the norm. You know, with an, with an Indian student, um, a lot of times, especially with birthdays, they'll stay up late, they'll stay up until midnight, and they'll have a cake fight, and, you know, everyone just gets together, and it's a ton of fun, completely ridiculous, and I'm like, I'm an old man, and so I want to be asleep at 1030, and they're, they're just getting started at 1030, and they want to go until 2. Well, Paul talks about being all things to all men, that by all means, he might save some. And so it's like, can you be willing to sacrifice one or two days per month of sleep to go and meet them where they are? Because if not, why would you expect them 
to come and, and meet you? Why would you expect them to come into your life, to go to Bible study, to go to a church service, to hear the gospel, if you're not willing to come alongside and meet them where they're at? And so the second thing is just learning to adapt to other cultures. You know, learning to meet people where they are is key. And there's compromise. You know, you bring them in, you show them what it looks like to be uh, an American um, or to, to enter into our culture, but it really is a blend. You have to do both. Um, as I was talking to my wife about this, she's like, well, you did meet me in FOI, so you should probably plug that. So I, I found an incredible woman in Abishay. I, I got married. I met my wife in FOI, so it's not a plug for single people. But I mean, I did meet my wife in the field that God put me. So consider FOI. But anyway, so that's one way of preparation. Um, I think one of the biggest things, though, is, is how to teach and preach the word of God. Because if you're like, hey, in the dispensation of grace with, you know, propitiation for sin and oh, atonement, Americans don't know these words, let alone someone who English is not the first language. And so, yes, we are to preach the word of God, but you have to make it, you know, you have to present it in a way that they can understand. And so ministering to an international student a lot of times is very similar to the way that you would speak to a child. You know, you would share a Bible story you don't need to use all the fancy Bible words. You would share it in pictures that they can understand. So like, as an example, with maybe someone from Kuwait or Saudi Arabia or a country where honor and shame is very important, uh, where honoring your father especially weighs and means a lot, well, then you can share how we honor our godly father. Or maybe you could share the story of the prodigal son where the father dishonored himself to welcome in the wayward son. Like these stories are huge to these cultures and so you just getting to know the people and their culture and what how you can specifically minister to them you know the way i would share the gospel to a muslim might look different than the way i would share it to a buddhist or to a hindu you know who has many gods where jesus is just another god on the shelf so just learning learning to relate and to meet people where they are to share on their level um, you know it really forces you to know your bible but then also to know other, how can you take, one of the biggest lessons I learned from Andrew in evangelism is how do you take a physical picture or a physical reality and turn it into a spiritual conversation? You know, your thirsty woman at the well is a great example of that. But uh, man, everybody's gonna have physical realities. Like right now outside, the changing weather, changing seasons, well, that happens in people's lives. You know, you can always take physical pictures and turn them into spiritual principles. And then finally, I know I'm, over time, I'm sorry, Miles, but the, the last one is international students typically have their family is all overseas. They're all at home. They're not able to be here. And so just learning to be burdened for and praying for a people that you have that you don't know uh, is huge because prayer is it's the power. It's the fuel of our ministry. It's what everything gets accomplished with. And so when you when you get to do that, man, it changes every area of ministry in your life. And then it, with that brings the joy of getting to see someone come to Christ. There's nothing like it. We've got to see more Asians, I think, come to Christ than any other uh, in this ministry. And it's just, it's the sweetest thing in the world. When we went on a mission trip to Vietnam, Andrew just asked for me to help do the same thing. I was a leader in FOI at one point. And so he asked me to help do the same thing in Vietnam that we were doing here. And you know, cultural exchanges or loving on people, inviting them in for a meal, being a genuine friend, you know, just straight up evangelism, all of these things translate anywhere you go. And so if you can just learn to meet people where they are, to love them, to be a genuine friend to them, 
and then learn your Bible so that you know how to share it in every situation. And all these things will translate and you'll be prepared for any field. So that's what I got. And last but not least, we're gonna have Grace come up and just share her testimony as well. And then we'll dive into it. Um, so my name is Grace and I'm from Japan and I came here for college two and a half years ago. Um, I've been in FOI for about two years and it's been awesome. Midtown and FOI people are truly my family and I'm so thankful that God provided this body. And so I grew up going to church and I got saved when I was 14 years old in Japan. Um, after I got saved, I was rejoicing, but slowly walking away from God. And I, and yeah, so I always wanted to study abroad. And my mom had a friend in KC, so I came to Kansas City for college. Um, I was going to church with a friend on Sunday, but for somehow it was really hard to get connected with the church that I was going. And I met, I, she's not here. Um, but she went to the same college and I was talking to her how I couldn't connect to, connect to the church and she invited me to CE, um, to this culture exchange event that we have in FOI. And I went to CE and I was amazed how people were so welcoming and loving and um, they were full with love. And it felt so different from other hangouts that I went before. Um, I went, I met Fong, who became my disciple later, and Simon and Jillian and other FOI people. Um, I fell in love with the loving atmosphere of the FOI. And um, Simon asked me if I want to go to church the next morning of C. So I went to church with her and that's how I started to come to Midtown. Um, from then I started hanging out with Simin and Fong and they were so patient and loving, caring, and I enjoyed hanging out with them so much. And they let me stay overnight at their house and eat together, play games together. And I was able to see their lifestyle and compared to my lifestyle. And I saw them having passion about Christ and rejoicing for um, having intimate relationship with the Lord. And when I compared with my life, I realized that I was not close to God. And I remember two years ago, it was snowy day like today, and I was talking to the girls. They asked me questions about my faith and they really cared about my walk with the Lord and I was so convicted and um, I realized that I wasn't walking with the Lord and I decided to take it serious and sometime later I started discipleship with Fong and Sarah. Um, I took some time to open up but people who invested in me were so patient and they kept hanging out with me pouring love to me and I'm so thankful for this ministry and now 
I can pour love to the new international students that I'm meeting with. And yeah, that's my testimony. And the tip is, I think, to just keep hanging out with them, invite them to your house if you can. Um, I totally agree with Mankit about the food because <laughs> I fall in love with Simmons cook, cooking. <laughs> I go to her house whenever I can to eat her food. And <laughs> it's been awesome. And for um, specifically Japanese people, they have different mindset of religion because of the culture and mostly they never heard the gospel before. And um, I think it takes a lot of time for them to open up and to share their faith or like what they think about God. So um, I think one-on-one -on -one time is really important um, just to build genuine relationship with them. So yeah, that's my testimony. <laughs> Okay, so we are rich here. Um, the, the cool thing, this is just a handful, and there's so many more that we could have picked. And, and all the people that, that gave testimony, that shared with you, they're not just attending services, right? Uh, some of them are, are American, some of them come from different parts of the world. But the cool thing is, all of them are part of engaging in the work of the ministry. And so it's not, man, that they were good to me and now I'm here. It's, man, they were good to me and I acknowledge God's grace on my life and that God is good to me. And now I have something to give to other people. And so all the people that you heard for, from are engaged in the ministry here and they take personal evangelism and they, they have a place in ministry where they're investing into the lives of other people. And it's encouraging, you know, for Andrew to say, or for Taylor to say that it was an international student that invited me to Friends of Internationals, right? Because, because I just got saved. I needed somewhere to get plugged in to grow in Bible study, right? Oh, praise the Lord. And that's the mindset. Whoever's in our pathway, man, we want to engage them with the gospel that, that, that God could be working in and through their lives. And so today we're going to consider a you know, familiar passage with the time that we have left. It's going to be uh, John chapter four. <clears throat> and we're going to look at the ministry of Jesus Christ. We'll do some cross-referencing with the, the ministry uh, of Philip, uh, the evangelist. You know, Philip's the only person in your Bible that's called an evangelist. And he's not just an evangelist, he is the evangelist, right? So I think between Jesus, like God in the flesh and Philip, that we can get some incredible insights on what it looks like for us to engage in the work of evangelism. Um, to gain just some practical insights on what it looks like to minister to people cross-culturally. Um, but before we dive in, I was just going to share kind of a little bit about myself. So I, I went to high school at Lee Summit West High School. And some of you are saying, cool, who cares, right? Well, Lee Summit, it's a suburb outside of Kansas City, about 30 minutes away. And uh, some of you know Pastor Dan Renault. You guys know Pastor Dan Renault? So he, he planted a church that's a few blocks, like literally a few blocks away from the high school, right? And so whenever I was in high school at Lee Summit West, uh, Pastor Brandon Briscoe, he wasn't a pastor yet. He wasn't ordained. Uh, but he was leading the, the high school uh, ministry here. And he was burdened for high schoolers. And because God had had him working with high schoolers, man, he wanted to put himself in a position where he could reach more high schoolers. And so he went from being a graphic designer to pursuing a master's degree 
so we can get in a classroom with a bunch of high schoolers and continue to reach them with the gospel. And so as you guys look around at the, the, the college young adult ministry at, at Midtown Baptist Temple, uh, a lot of us aren't here by accident, right? A lot of us didn't just stumble across some church on 40th and Walnut and say, oh, this looks like a cool place. For me, Pastor Brandon Briscoe was a, a teacher at my high school. And I can look around and I can see people like Alex Allen. I can see people like Amanda and Nick Hatton and, and Haley Hudson. And Her like I could go on and on and on and just list off, rattle off dozens of people that are here because Brandon used his platform and, and a high school class to reach people like me and encourage them to follow the Lord. And, and then, you know, Dan Renault is teaching at a, a, a community, you know, a college as a professor just down the street and he's doing the same thing in his classroom. And suddenly you get Blade Spizas and, and Victoria Kahn's and, and Jorge, like, man, these people are awesome, right? And, and they're using their platform to, to reach the people that, that they're close to. And, and the cool thing is whenever I got plugged into ministry here, Man, the, the Bible, I didn't know how cool, 66 books. And it like, it's relevant for today and it speaks to every area of my life. And I just had no idea. I just thought it was some dusty old book that like preach, preachers preach from, you know? I didn't know that, that I could get into it and that I could understand it for myself and it, it could transform my life. And I was blown away and I was excited and, and people wanted to invest in me. Man, that love that, that you heard so many people talking about, I felt that and I experienced that. And I wanted more of it. And so I kept hanging around and, and the word was invested in me. And suddenly I realized it was my responsibility, not just to take all this and to eat, eat, eat. But man, as I'm being filled, I need to, to pour into other people with my life as well. And so whenever I came in, what was modeled for me is that Christians, they don't just attend services, but, but they invest into other people. And so if they're younger believers, you get to pour your life into them. If they're people that don't know Jesus Christ, well, they need to know Jesus Christ, right? And it's our mission to take the gospel to them. And so when I stepped into the ministry, that, what was, that was the expectation. That's all I knew. And I meet people like Andrew Ong. And man, this dude is a walking, breathing like evangelist. Like, like that's what he does. It, it, I, immediately, I took note of it. And any young men that come up in ministry, I always encourage them to find these examples and then samples in the faith right? These people that are further along than they are and that have grown in different areas of ministry that they admire and want to be like and lean in. And early on, Andrew is one of those guys because like every week it felt like he was leading someone to the Lord. It's like, how, how, like he's just really good at, at evangelism. It's, he's not, I mean, he is, but he's not just really good at it. He, he was diligent. He, he was full of the spirit. He was prepared Whenever he came to church or anywhere else he was going, he walked circumspectly, looking for opportunities to share the gospel. When he was engaging in conversations, he, man, he was spiritually minded. And so there's no mistake that that fruit was falling out of his life. And so then you look at his disciples, you look at guys like, like Taylor Lyon and Mankit and Carly, and man, they're, they're spiritually minded. They, 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 they walk around, they're looking for opportunities to invest into other people. They're looking for opportunities to share the gospel and, and it's a fruitful ministry. And I point all this out to say that, man, it doesn't just happen. For me, I stepped into ministry because Brandon Briscoe invited me to it. And the expectation from top down, all I saw from Pastor Brandon is that, man, this is what we do as Christians. And so the, the ministry that she's in fruitful because that's what we, we saw. Right? I look at the Friends of International Ministry, and man, the, the, the nations are here worshiping the one true God. That didn't just happen. 
It's because Andrew Ong was intentionally used that platform. And now you look at the other ministers that are growing up in the ministry and they're about it. It didn't happen by accident. And so the call today is if you're not engaged in the mission, if you're not engaged in evangelism, if that's not pointing out of your life, how could you expect anybody else in your ministry, anybody else that's following you to actually get that vision? It's not going to happen. It has to start with us. If we're not going to do it, who, who is, right? The, the, the crazy thing is we could actually do this really well and we could, you know, have the brand FOI and we could put on these cool events and there could be lots of people that are coming and we could get nothing done for the kingdom. And it actually happens all the time, right? There are so many organizations that want to do something very similar to this and they're reaching no one with the gospel and they have a really cool party and there are people from all over the world that attend and nothing's getting done, right? And so for us, you know, I think we're, we're particularly in danger because, man, we got, you know, Pastor Joe McKegg and we, we got Pastor Sam Miles, we got Pastor Tony Godfrey. We're in the right churches and our church, it preaches the right doctrine. And man, my, my church, it's a discipleship church. Do you know that? It, my, my church is a missions church, right? And so by association, by proxy, we can assume that, man, because we're in the right ministry, that, that we're good and, and we're not actually engaged in the of the ministry, right? You can actually be hiding in a ministry and not being a minister. And that's dangerous. And, and I'm calling all of us out of that, right? I'm calling all of us to engage in the, the, the work of evangelism. It's the mission. It's what we've been called to. And so let's pray. Uh, and let's dive into the text. Uh, Lord, we, we do thank you uh, for the example of Jesus Christ. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, we could have some right philosophy, but if it doesn't actually prick our heart, if we don't see souls uh, for, for what they are and how valuable they are, uh, if it doesn't lead to action, if it doesn't move to our feet, then it's in vain. And, and, and you know, we're, we, we're a part of good churches and we've got the right doctrine, we've got the, the right philosophies, Lord. And so we're just praying that you uh, would actually allow these things to, to move to our heart, that we'd go burdened uh, for the lost, Lord. And that that would lead to, to practical action on our end. Uh, and Lord, that, that you would make us to be fruitful. You bring the increase. We, we can't do it, Lord. And so, Lord, we just pray that, that you would help us, Lord, uh, just in this mission to commission. You know, it's, uh, it's something that we partner with you in. And so, Lord, we, we acknowledge our weakness. We acknowledge that the power comes from your word and from your spirit. And so, Lord, help us to lean in on that, that you might be glorified through us. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Okay, so John chapter four, uh, verses uh, three through six says, he, and this is Jesus, left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And it says that he must needs go through Samaria. And then he cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob, uh, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat at the well, and it was about the sixth hour there cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. And so this is a, a passage that I think probably most of us are familiar with, right? Um, but like we, we have to camp out here because this is a master's class on evangelism, right? There's so many practical and incredible insights uh, about intentional conversation, you know, Andrew, Taylor, a lot of us mentioned just the, the skill, uh, full tactics that, that Jesus employed here 
uh, to, to have a spiritual conversation with this woman at the well. And so <clears throat> here we see that Jesus is leaving Samaria in order to return to Galilee. And he chooses a, a route Samaria. In verse 4, it says that he must needs go through Samaria. And we're going to hit pause right here because this is actually a really big deal, right? And, and if we weren't careful, if we were just reading quickly, we could easily gloss over and fail to understand the, the, the cultural context of how big of a deal this would be in that day. And so in the next slide, we've got a, a map here, right? And we see that he's leaving Judea to go to, to Galilee. And we see Samaria is right here in between. And so Jesus, he must needs go through Samaria is what it says. And so he's taking this route right through it. Uh, but as we can continue to, to kind of read in this passage, we can see how uncharacteristic that would be in that time for any Jew to go through the land of Samaria. Uh, more commonly, Jews would take two other routes, either around this way or around that way, uh, because they would avoid any contact with Samaria. And so, you know, the Jews, they disliked the Samaritans. They, they viewed them as an unclean people. Uh, Samaria originally was the, the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, eventually, the, kind of that whole territory became known as Samaria. And we see that once the Assyrians conquered that area, uh, they deported a lot of, of Jews, right? They, they deported a lot of the Israelites. And as they continued to conquer other peoples, they would bring in and intermingle that area with other peoples that they conquered. And so this area of Samaria became uh, kind of intermingled and there's intermarrying between Jews and between uh, the, the, these pagan Gentile people. And with that, there became mixed worship practices. They, they began to, to, to worship false gods. And so the Samaritans of Jesus's day, they were descendants of this mixed ancestry. And so the Jews viewed them as unclean. They, they viewed them worse than dogs and they despised them. And, and they would go, you know, uh, great lengths just to avoid any contact with them. And so, you know, the, the more common routes were, were around, they're actually longer routes. And so actually some scholars speculate that, that Jesus went through Samaria because it was a quicker route. And, and as we read the passage, we'll see that Jesus actually ends up hanging out in Samaria for quite a few days. And so clearly he was in no hurry. So, so there's no uh, sense there. He, he's going through Samaria because there's a Samaritan woman that he needed to meet, right? And so our key point number one is that we must go out of our way to pursue relationships that, with those that we seek to reach. We must go out of our way to pursue relationships with those who we seek to reach. And, you know, Jesus, he didn't just stumble upon Samaria to meet and meet a woman at the well. He intentionally took the road less traveled in order to reach her. Uh, he set in his heart that he must needs go through Samaria. And this has to be our, our mentality, even just to reach one soul. <clears throat> and we see this characteristic of Jesus's ministry as we continue to, to read and look at different examples. And I can name a number, but one of my favorites happens in Mark chapter four. In Mark chapter four, it says that the same day when even was come, he being Jesus saith unto them, being his disciples, let us pass over to the other side, right? So in Mark chapter four, we see that Jesus just wrapped up preaching like one of the most baller messages in the entire Bible. He, he just preached the parable of the sower. And so it had been a long day of ministry. It had been hard work. He, he surely would have been exhausted. And the day's winding down. Evening has come. And so you'd think that it's time to, to kick back, to relax, to, to, to put your feet up. But instead of winding down, 
Jesus is calling his disciples to pass to the other side. And do you guys remember what happens next as they're passing to the other side? Any takers? No one? Yeah, say it louder. There's a storm, right? So long day of ministry, evening, you know, you think that they're winding down. Instead, they're sailing, they're doing this hard work, and they encounter a storm. And this storm, it's meant to, to, to knock them off course. It's meant to, to try their faith. It's meant to turn them around. And for any of us that want to engage in this work and ministry, we have to know that any ministry that we pursue, any ministry worth pursuing, you know, opposition will come. There's going to be challenges, but, but it's worth it to keep moving forward. So the disciples and Jesus, they're ministering all day. They're, they're crossing a sea. Evening has come. They're, they're facing a storm. And all for what? Well, it's because they, they, they must need reach internationals, right? But by chapter 5, verse 1, it says, and they came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And so we see Jesus once again engaging in cross-cultural missions, right? This dude's a Jew, and he's going out and, and, and going into pagan Gentile territory. His disciples would be freaking out. What are we doing here, Jesus? Like, are you sure this is where we need to be? And absolutely. It says in verse 2, when he come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Uh, who was dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been, uh, been often bound with fetters and chains. And the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him. And he cried with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus? Thou son of the most high God, I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And so we see that, that Jesus ended up in the gatherings. He ended up in this pagan Gentile territory. And we see that Jesus is going out of his way, right? He, he's crossing a sea. He's encountering storms. He's crossing the, these physical, these cultural, these social barriers all for what? For the opportunity to meet and to minister to one soul to meet and to minister to one. As we continue to read this story, we see that the rest of the city comes out and they order Jesus to leave their coast. They deported Jesus. It's a bad move, right? The rest of the city wanted nothing to do with them. He came there for one soul and it was worth it. For one soul and it was worth it. And in Acts 8, we see another testimony of Philip, the evangelist. And it said that the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip saying, arise, go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of Ethiopia, who had the, chain, uh, the charge of all her treasure, uh, had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, under thou what thou readest what'd you say nah man how could i how can i accept some man should guide me and he desired philip that he would come up and sit with him in the place of the script which he read was this he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shears so opened he not his mouth and his humiliation his judgment was taken away and who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth and the eunuch Answered Philip and said, I pray thee, 
of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus, right? Philip, we, we see him go out of his way. And it's crazy. Like right before this, he's actually ministering in Samaria. Like we see just John chapter four thing go full circle by the time it gets to Acts chapter eight. He's ministering in Samaria. And so the, the investment that Jesus made in Samaria, man, he was planting some seeds, but you better believe Philip came and started watering that. And we see this incredible just growth. And at this time, Samaria was the epicenter of Christian activity in the world. Like it was so crazy that the apostles were leaving Jerusalem just to get in on the action. Like it was exciting. You know, discipleship was taking place. People were getting saved left and right. And it was fruitful. It was an awesome ministry. And we see that Philip being sensitive to the spirit was willing to separate from a place of incredible fruit. You know, I think about Pastor Andrew Ong. Friends of International is exciting. It is fruitful. We're seeing souls saved. We, we, we see people get trained up in the ministry. We're seeing God do a work all over the world. And, and we see people like, like Taylor Lyon. Like we, we see people that, that are counting the costs and they're leaving behind a fruitful ministry because they must needs go. They, they must needs go. There's nothing convenient about it. Man, why would you want to go to a desert? Why would you want to go to Gaza? right? When, 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 man, it's exciting what's happening in Samaria. Well, because he's sensitive to the spirit, he must needs go. All these examples exemplify what it looks like to go out of our way to relationship those who we seek to reach. And it's not rocket science, right? We're called to be fishers of men. And so fish where the fish are. And so it's not wonder that the Fitzpatricks live two blocks from campus, because they've got it set in their heart that they're going to reach these international students on campus. And so they strategically position themselves to be in a place where, where they can use their home to, to minister, where they can be in close proximity to, to, to reach these people. It, it, it's strategic. It's wise. It's a, it, man, they're going out of their way to be put in a position to be used mightily by God. And guess what? God's used them. Amen, right? It's no wonder that there's a team that's moving to Vietnam. Because what? They want to reach people in Vietnam. And so it's needful for them to be there. For, for me and my wife, uh, you know, I got to go to, to India. It's been like two years ago now. Uh, and I came back uh, and I got to do quite a bit of international travel in that season. I'd gone to, to Costa Rica. I'd gone to, to Suriname, where my mom's side of the family is from. And, and I got back from India and I was just burdened for the world. We have here and what God's doing in other parts of the world. I'm just desperate to, to be a part of what's going on, uh, just in, in global missions. So I was burdened to reach internationals and was exploring avenues. I came back and started talking to, to, to Andrew and to Brandon about what to reach internationals in our city. And, you know, we were engaging the international community on campuses and I was burdened. And there's immigrants, there's refugees here in Kansas City that need the gospel. And, and at that time, he said, we lived two blocks away from, from here. Right, we live two blocks that way, and it was perfect, guys. I, I work on the plaza, and so I walk to work every day. I was walking distance to church, and I was walking distance to the campus. I had a, like it in terms of strategic position. Like, man, this is it was awesome, you know. And we had the the top floor. I call it the, our our penthouse. It wasn't like it's, it wasn't super nice, but it was nice. Like it was fun. It was it was a place that was. Uh, cozy. We had nested. We loved having people over. It was just, you know, we loved being there. 
uh, but we we begin to pray what what it looks like for us to reach people uh, in Kansas City. And so we knew that the Northeast had one of the most densely populated areas of immigrants and refugees. The Northeast is a, a you know it's a short commute, but it's not a walking distance. Instead, it's fifteen to twenty minute drive. You know. But we wanted to reach that community, and so me and my wife we we moved there because man. We, we got to go where the people are at, right? We, we must need to go. For FOI, airport pickups, you've heard us say over and over and over again, it's a big deal. It's a big deal, especially this year. Typically at UMKC, they've got a welcome, like a roof fair where they welcome all their international students and it's first point of contact with internationals. This semester, they don't. And so if we're not willing to drive to the airport to pick people up, how are we gonna make that first point of contact? It is strategic. And there's nothing convenient about it. Like some of you have flown in, you know, a number of live 30 to, to minutes to an hour away from the airport. And so that's, it's a sacrifice, but it's worth it, right? It's worth it to, to drive out of our way. It's worth it to, to, to buy a house near campus. It's worth it to, to hang out on campus. It's worth it to, to move across town. You know, we, we in the college and adult ministry, God's doing the work and you know there's a bunch of young people that are amped up on on the Bible and they're excited and they're trusting God to do these incredible things and they're willing to move like halfway across the world are we not willing to move just across the city like you don't have to give up your job you get to stay close to your family like are we not willing to, to make those types of sacrifices to be where we need to be for God to use us you know we, we have to start thinking that way uh, would we open up our homes and allow international students to live with us? Um, you know, as we keep reading, this is a quick side note. It says that Jesus was wearied in the work. And, and this is just a great comfort to me. I don't know about y'all, but, but it's hard work. I think about the, the work that's happening in Laramie. And that's no joke. That's, like, that's a hard work. I think about the work that's happening in, in Dallas. And that's a hard work and it can feel lonely and it can feel tough. And, and the beautiful thing is that Jesus was worn out in the work of the ministry too, right? He can relate. He understands what you're going through. And yet we see him continue in the work. In Hebrews chapter four, verse 15, it says that we have not a high priest, which can be touched with the feeling and firm, but in points tempted, he gets it, right? The, the things that we're going through, he went through, he, he understands. In the passage, it tells us that it was the sixth hour of the day. And so in, in that time, the, the six hour would correlate with noon, right? And so this is in the full heat of the day, right? They, they, they just walked, they went on this long journey and, and the full is in, or the, the, the sun is in, you know, just full swing, it, it's hot, it would be uh, uncomfortable. It'd be easy at this moment, Jesus, or for any of us due to, to, to physical exhaustion, to to mental, to, to emotional reasons, to choose not to engage in the work of the ministry. But despite being weary, we see that Jesus faints not. And that so often that's the case. So often we're, we're really close to a breakthrough. We're, we're right there. If we just could simply endure, right? It's right around the corner. You know, God, he's got these promises for us and he wants to do a mighty work and, and it's hard right now, but, but breakthrough is just around we could simply endure. In Galatians 6, verse 9, it says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. 
in due season, if we, if we keep at it, if, if we continue to trust the Lord, man, we're going to reap if we faint not. And so y'all, this work, it's a hard work. We're going to face days where we grow weary, uh, but it's worth it to, to, to continue at it, to continue at the work. You know, I think about uh, just hearing testimony from, from Andrew about the early days, whenever they first started the ministry, uh, from the Fitzpatrick's when they, they first started the ministry and, and it doesn't look the same as it did now, you know, uh, early on, you know, Andrew and Dan, uh, before the college ministry was what it was. And before FOI was what it was Sunday, they'd meet up before service and they'd go to the upper room, uh, to the balconies because there's no, like the ministry is small. There was no one here. And, and they, they had this vision trusting God for a mighty work, but how is he going to do it? How is he going to use them? And so they get on their knees and they pray, Lord, like, what are we going to do? You know, if, if you don't do this, how are we going to get anything done? And they were desperate, you know, that's got to be our heart. That's got to be our heart. This Nehemiah mentality, uh, you know, God blesses that work. Uh, it's awesome. <clears throat> yeah, we, we have to be serious about the work. And Chapter six in Nehemiah, right? They're trying to get him to come down to the wall. He's like, nah, man, I can't come down from this wall. He says, he's got a great work to do. He's got a great work. How can I be distracted with anything else? I've got a great work to do. You can't get me off this wall. And it's gotta be the mentality. You gotta stay at it. Uh, key point number two, we must really leverage our conversations towards spiritual matters. So this is the this is the judo move that Pastor Andrew Wong has been talking so much about, uh, is the leverings our conversations for, for spiritual matters. And as we examine Jesus' questions, uh, they give us these incredible insights on how to draw people into spiritual conversations. And, and I want to be clear that this isn't a perfect formula, right? It's not an A plus B equals C. Like, I'm not saying that, you know, ask someone for a drink and suddenly you're going to be leading everybody that you ask for a drink to the Lord. Uh, but we see some incredible principles. We see some incredible insights here nonetheless. Ultimately, man, the, the, the Lord has to be at work. Be sensitive to the spirit. Trust him to do a work and to use you. It says, Jesus said unto her, give me to drink. For disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou being a Jew askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And so here we see uh, often the hardest part is just opening our mouths. And so Jesus, he initiates the conversation, right? He, he, he asks the woman for a drink. And so often for us, this is the hardest part is just simply opening our mouths. And, you know, I was talking to a customer the other day. His name's Mickey. Mickey's a real character, y'all. Like this dude, he's like, he's a New Yorker through and through. And his wife convinced him to move to Kansas City and he's not happy about it, right? Like he refuses to get a driver's license because he's always relied on Metro Transport in, in New York. And you could do that in New York, but this dude is waiting on bus stops for way too long. And he's just an angry man, right? But, you know, I get to have spiritual conversations with Mickey because, you know, I think we're, I, was talk, I was talking to him about India and, and an opportunity to go there. And man, I use the judo move and I leverage that for spiritual conversations, right? Uh, but I was talking to Mickey and he's telling me about some guy that told him that, you know, you never have to, to talk about Jesus to the Bible because our lives should just be living testimony of that thing, right? And I was like, yeah, Mickey, that doesn't make any sense at all, right? I just, just called him out on it. I said, if Jesus had to engage in conversations with his mouth, I'm not better than Jesus, right? 
if anybody could just walk around and people, man, that's the son of God. Like, I need to repent of my sins and believe in him. It's Jesus. But we see even Jesus opening his mouth. And spoiler alert, none of you are better than Jesus Christ, right? And so we got to open our mouths. We got to open our mouths. Uh, but, but it is important that we want to engage in conversations and not presentations, right? These are people, right? This isn't, you know, a sales presentation where you got your three points and will you buy my product, right? We want to engage in conversations and not in presentations. In conversations, not presentations. So here we find Jesus willing to open his mouth and to engage her. And, and this is a big deal. Even she's caught off guards by it, right? As soon as he opens his mouth, she's like, yo, like, but I'm like, you have no dealings with me. She, she's caught off guard by it. But Jesus was willing to cross cultural barriers and to break social norms for the gospel. Right. Jesus was a rabbi. She was a woman of you know, questionable character. She was a Samaritan. He was a Jew. Like there's so many boundaries that Jesus is crossing to engage her in conversation. The Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Yet here we have Jesus seeking conversation and friendship. Him asking her for a drink was a way to show himself friendly to her. This is what Taylor Lyon was talking about, right? If you want friends, you got to show yourself friendly. That's Proverbs 18, 19. Okay, I was like, man, I thought I, I, thought I had that, right? So, so asking her for, her for a drink was a way to show himself friendly. He was willing to drink from her cup. Oh, that's a big deal, right? And, and this is key. We have to show ourselves friendly. If ministry runs on the rails of relationships, then this is going to be key. This is the same thing with one question. He shows himself friendly to the Ethiopian eunuch. Hey, do, do you understand what you're reading? Oh, how could I? You know? And boom, just like that. And so we're going to get both of these scenarios with Philip and with Jesus. That they're willing to engage socially, open doors for them to reach others spiritually. Their willingness to engage socially open doors for them to reach others spiritually. And let's look at how Jesus responds. In verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. And so this is the move, right? This is the pivot that Jesus is doing. So, you know, Andrew kept saying it's a judo move. You guys know what judo is? Any idea? So, so Jude, I'm not, not um, Andrew might be, but essentially the, the principles of judo is it's not like this combat where you're just like punching people, right? It's grappling and throwing. And, and the idea is that if someone's coming at you, you're skillfully using your, their energy to push it back to them, right? And so Jesus is using a pivot in the conversation where she launches something at him to, to throw it back at her and introduce a Station. And it's very, very skillful. So Andrew uses the judo analogy. Pastor Sam uses the chum analogy. This is what I call putting chum in the water. Do you guys understand that analogy? Do you know what chum is? You guys look at me with like blank faces. So a fisherman would use chum, right? Essentially, chum is just bait. And so sometimes fishermen, they'll dump chum or they'll dump bait in the water and it attracts fish, right? And the goal is that they would gauge to see if fish are biting. And then what they get to do is instead of forcing conversation on people, you get to draw people into conversation, right? Forcing feels like, ah, aggressive. 
But putting chum in the water, you get to reel people into conversation, right? That's what a good fisherman does. He puts the bait out and, and he draws the fish in until they bite on it, right? And that's what we see Jesus doing here. He's drawing her into spiritual conversation. Jesus is using the physical world to reveal spiritual need. And so you guys remember Lee, he gave a testimony. Yeah, Lee's right here. You gave a testimony and you're like, man, I was talking to, to Andrew about the Big Bang and suddenly I got saved. I don't even know how it happened, right? And, and, and Andrew, what he did was he established common ground with Lee. He, he found something that he understood, a principle that they shared, he was able to, to, to leverage that into a spiritual conversation. Man, we could start at the Big Bang and we could talk about creation and the creator God. And, and this could never just come from nowhere, and, you know, and start down that road. I work at a jewelry store. And so all, not all day, I usually am talking about watches, but man, there's so many opportunities I get to have spiritual conversations because I sell diamond rings. And man, if I'm talking about diamond rings, I can't help but talk about my wife. I'm talking about my wife, I can't help but talk about Jesus and the fact that he put us together. Like, man, th there's a huge open door every time I'm at the bridal bar to have a spiritual conversation. Why? Because I've already worked that thing out. Like, I know, oh man, I, I, like I know the pivot on this one, you know? And, and so if it's in your workplace, if it, like there are things that you know that you're constantly around and we need to be skillful at taking physical world and using them to, to illustrate the, 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 these incredible spiritual pictures. I'll never forget uh, Naveen uh, after, uh, it was after fall retreat. Uh, Naveen shared with me this incredible illustration that, that, that pictured something so beautiful. He talked about when he first came here, he thought that he was a bottle of water that was full. And, and, and so he, he came and he got around Midtown and, and started learning the, the Bible in a deeper way. And he started to realize that he, he wasn't a full bottle of water. It was more like a, a, half, a half full bottle of water, you know? And, and he kept coming around and, and man, God kept revealing the, the lack in his life. And that is actually, you know, presumptuous and maybe it was a quarter full and less and less. And, and got to a point where he realized that, man, I need to be filled. There's something here that there, there, there are things in the word of God that I need to be filling my life that I actually don't know and I don't understand. That, that's a point of humility, but it's such a beautiful way to articulate it. And, and to see him not be content with that, but to take steps to move forward, to, to be in a place where he's overflowing, just like this woman at the well, where, where he's filling himself, not with this temple water, but, but with the, the, the spring of everlasting life. And so Naveen's getting discipled and he's a growing minister here in our church. And we're so thankful that he's a part of the work and that he's ministering and investing in other people. He gets it. We're, we're richer because Naveen is here. But he, he used an incredible physical picture to, to explain a spiritual reality that was taking place in his life. And it was effective, right? Um, <clears throat> so here we see that, that she bites uh, on, on, on this conversation. And so she launches into series of thoughtful and important questions. And this leads to, to further spiritual conversation. And this is always the goal, that as we're putting that bait in the water, that, that we can keep the conversation going, right? We want to keep that conversation going. Uh, here in verse 11, the woman says unto him, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? I thought greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. 
And so we see that the, the, the chum in the water brings forward some questions, right? Just saying, hey, you've got nothing to draw water with. How are you going to get this water, <laughs> right? Uh, are you greater than, than my father, Jacob? And, and so Jesus was, uh, you know, he's got nothing to, to physically draw water with. And so she's confused. And the question reveals that she still doesn't understand the difference between the physical, right? And, and this is great. The conversation continues. And now we, we've got the woman asking questions. And one of the things that we can't do is we can't ignore or dismiss questions, right? We, we can't get frustrated with people because of their, their ignorance of spiritual realities. But we must be sensitive to learn from questions where one is at. It's so incredible. It's so insightful. If instead of having the answers ready to go and just giving them to them, if we'd simply listen and allow them to teach us where they're at by the questions that they're asking and the statements that they're saying. If we took the time to listen, then we'd see that, that, that clearly she still doesn't understand spiritual matters from physical matters, right? This is important. And we see that Jesus takes the time to observe this and it helps him to launch into uh, kind of the, the, his next questioning, the, the, the next bit of conversation, right? She doesn't understand spiritual matters. She's clearly still fixated on the physical, makes sense of the spirit. And so conversations, uh, they will be grappled with. You know, someone coming from the atheistic worldview uh, were truly considered realities and so jesus responds appropriately and in verse 13 he says unto her uh whosoever drinketh of water shall thirst again but whosoever drinketh of the water that i shall give him shall never thirst but the water that i shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life and to him forgive me this water that i thirst not neither come thither to draw. And so remember, she, she still didn't understand the spiritual nature of Jesus' salvation. And so hopefully highlights the benefit of the water that he He says that the water from the ground, the, the, the water coming from the world, the water coming from the earth, it's temporal, right? It, it won't satisfy. And the water that's coming from this well of everlasting life, it, it will satisfy, right? It's spiritual. It comes from within, and it gives everlasting life. He makes it very clear that this is a spiritual man that comes from within. And the awesome thing is that she's no dummy until she bites on it, right? She wants the well of water springing into everlasting life. Hopefully, they weren't saying no to this well of water. <laughs> but we see here that he's introducing her to spiritual reality. This well offers temporal satisfaction. This well here, this physical thing, this thing coming from the ground that offers temporal satisfaction. But the satisfaction that God has to offer is everlasting. And for her to acknowledge this is a big deal. And, and the cool thing is for, for an honest seeker, they always want the best deal, right? I don't know about y'all, but man, if someone's coming at me, I always want the best deal. Like if this costs so much here, if I know I can get it on Amazon for like, a little bit cheaper. It's like, man, don't support a big, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. It's tough, right? Like it's $10 cheaper here. I want the best deal. And, and, and people, they, they want the best deal. So an honest seeker, as they're grappling with these things, man, we, we got to show them 
you know, what's on the table? Temporal satisfaction versus everlasting, right? So we see that she's making, you know, the, these leaps and bounds in terms of understanding, but she still hasn't acknowledged her sin or need for repentance, right? She, she's understanding a spiritual reality. She's understanding, man, that, 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 that there's something good on the table here, but she still hasn't acknowledged her sin and a need for repentance. And so our next key point is that we must reveal the wickedness of sin and need for repentance. This has to be a part of any gospel presentation. If they don't understand their sin, that there's no need for a savior. And that's not a comfortable conversation to have necessarily, right? But this is so, so important. And this is needful. Think about uh, Mankit. It was some the, the, the preaching on sin that he acknowledged his sin before a righteous and holy God. And it led him to repentance. It's not a comfortable sermon to sit under, right? But, but God was using the preaching of his word to, to someone that didn't even know him. To, to, to force him to acknowledge a sin nature that he had, and it led him to a point of repentance. It's powerful. It's powerful. So in verse, John 4, verse 15 through 18, it says, The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come thither to draw. And Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that saidest thou truly. And so this is like, oof, right? This is a, a crazy conversation. Uh, lastly, we see that, that Jesus is drawing the conversation to, to a point. And this is, again, not the most comfortable thing. He's exposing this woman, uh, you know, she, she was minding her own business. She was just drawing water. And Jesus entered into her life and suddenly he's calling her out, right? He's exposing her for, for her sins. And so before offering her all spring into everlasting life, he calls her to get her husbands. And what he's doing here is forcing her to a point of acknowledging her sins, right? He, he, he's bringing her to a point where she has to, to confront the, her, her sins, her past, her, her lifestyle. That's grievous before a righteous and a holy God. But notice her response immediately, instead of repentance, instead of shame, is actually making light of her sin. She says, oh, I don't have a husband. What? You know? Okay. Yeah, if you want to go down that road, I, I could play that game, Jesus says, right? Yeah, you don't have a husband because you've had five. And the guy you're with, he's not your husband, right? Ouch. But this is so often how we deal with sin when it's brought up before us is we try to mask our sin. We, we try to dress it up and make it look not so bad, right? We try to downplay our sin that separates us from a thrice holy God. And we have to confront sin for what it is. And so Jesus calling her to, to, to examine her past, to bring her sin to light. He was showing her the gravity of her sin. And it's a needful thing. We have to understand what our sin you know, what it is before a righteous and a holy God, that it needs judgment. He's showing her that her sin dims and separates her from God. The well this world has to offer eventually comes dry, right? It's temporal. It comes dry. It's not satisfying. It's temporal. And guys, I want you to know that the craziest thing is people, honestly, they don't know that they have a need for God. So many people, they're just unaware and so just like Jesus, we have to expose that need. We have to expose that need.
and we are over time. So I'm going to wrap this up very quickly. Uh, the, the last point is that we have to reveal the way, right? And we see in the last section uh, that the, the woman at the well, I encourage you to read it. You guys have probably familiar with it. Uh, she tries to, 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 to dodge this and she turns the conversation and she wants to talk religion. And, and people want to talk a religion and they want to talk about other ways to eternal life. Right? They, they want to talk about their, their works and how their, their works can make them right before a righteous and holy God, and it doesn't make sense. And, and Jesus says that it's not where you worship. You know, it's not what you're doing. It's who you're worshiping and how, right? In spirit and in truth. And so the goal here is a revelation of Jesus as the only way, of Jesus as the only way. You know, I think about a friend, and, and I'm at this point in the conversation with him, you know, uh, we, we're in a point now where, where he's heard the gospel multiple times and he's coming from a Hindu background and, and we're starting to, to walk through, you know, his way versus Jesus's way. And, and I'm trusting God for him to see that there's one way, you know, and, and it's Jesus. And so uh, we have to be willing to engage in those conversations. Uh, but it's so important that we speak plainly. It's possible for us to speak in a spiritual matter that actually just confuses and confounds. Like it doesn't make any sense, right? And so we see very clearly here that Jesus says unto her, uh, I that speak unto thee am he. There's no confusion. Jesus, like I am the Messiah, right? He reveals it very, very clearly. And so the way that we engage, that we interact, as we use and navigate the scriptures, we have to speak plainly. We have to speak simply. We have to profess to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Christ crucified, right? It's through the foolishness of preaching. It's not through our wisdom. It's not through our intellect. We have to speak plainly. Uh, lastly, in verse 27, uh, really through, through 29, uh, it ends uh, with the woman dropping her, her you know, her, her water pot and, and going on her way. And she goes into, the, um, into Samaria and, and she's screaming, man, you got to see this is he not the Christ? She, she goes away having acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah, seeing him for who he really is and her life is completely transformed. And what I love is that she leaves a water pot behind because what she was doing when she went to the well, if she was trying to get satisfaction, it was in the heat of the day, she needed water, she went thirsty and now she's leaving and she left her water pots behind because she found her fulfillment in Jesus Christ, right? She was the earthen vessel that needed filling. And now she had something to offer to the rest of the world. Now she and the demoniac and the Ethiopian eunuch can publish in their communities, man, there's this man named Jesus and he's done great things for me. He's had compassion on me. You must meet this man. Is he not the Christ, right? And so this is the goal that as we engage in, uh, you know, reaching people across culturally or just our neighbors or whoever it might be, that man, as they see Jesus for who he is, they can't help but, but reach their Samaria, right? And that God would use that to, to, to allow the people to spread. Uh, ultimately, we see that she goes, uh, and she's not, like this, she's not an influential person in her community. Like we, we look at her background, we, we see the state of this woman, and she's not the strategic person to meet, right? The youth of Munich, people talk about, man, you know, he's a key man to reaching Ethiopia. She was a key woman to reaching Samaria. She didn't look like it, right? And, and so we can't despise the people that God put in our path. It's worth it to engage and allow God to use it however he would. And so I'm just going to close us in prayer. Uh, I'm sorry that, you know, we had to end so abruptly and so quickly. 
uh, but Lord willing, it was a, it was a blessing just to, to see Jesus, the, the judo master, uh, just, just do the work of the ministry. And so Lord, we, we close acknowledging that, uh, man, we're, we're just desperate for you to, to move in the people, uh, that, 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 that are in our path, Lord. And, uh, we want to be a fruitful, uh, people and we don't know how, and you've called us to, uh, to minister and to preach the gospel to, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost Lord. And, uh, that's an intimidating prospect. So Lord, we just pray that you would help us to, to, to minister where we're at, that we'd find opportunities to, to engage in personal evangelism. I realize that just because we're part of fruitful ministries doesn't mean that we get to slack off, uh, but there's a call in our lives to personally be a minister, uh, to, to personally be witnesses uh, uh, in all these areas. And so, Lord, uh, we just pray that you would empower us uh, to see our place in the ministry uh, and that we would run with it, uh, that you'd be glorified, that, 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 that there'd be much fruit, there'd be more fruit, Lord, to, to your glory. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. I don't, so I guess in wrapping up, uh, there's lunch provided downstairs, but it's leftovers. And if you want a meal at a restaurant, you're free to do that as well. Um, but I do encourage you grab Taylor, grab uh, the Fitzpatrick's, grab uh, Grace, grab Foam, uh, pick their brains, grab Lee and Naveen uh, about what ministering uh, here, grab Carlos, uh, Sarah, uh, yeah, just we're, we're rich in what we have and ministers here. Love you guys.